You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Pod Suey will be transitioning formats from a weekly roundup to a voter's guide from now until the general election in November. Big question for this Tuesday's primary, which candidate will challenge incumbent Governor Gretchen Whitmer on the Republican side? The final Republican gubernatorial debate was held in Pontiac this week and moderated by our own Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz. Afterwards, each candidate sat down with Kevin and Tom for more in-depth interviews. In the interest of fairness, each interview will appear in its entirety, unedited in the order that they aired on WJR. Tudor Dixon of Norton Shores built her career as a sales executive in the steel industry before going on to co-host America's Voice Live with Steve Gruber, who WJR listeners may be familiar with on Real American Voices News Network. She also founded Lumen Student News, a news outlet aimed at children from a conservative viewpoint. And we heard last night at the final GOP debate um, the stances uh, these candidates had on a number of issues. We talked about inflation and gas prices, election integrity, education, talked about critical race theory and the definition of a woman. This is some of the issues that we discussed with these five candidates. Yeah, and according to the polls, Tom, Tudor Dixon holds a slight lead over Kevin Rinke, and it was Tudor Dixon who was the first person to call out another candidate by name on stage in the debate, saying, you know I'm the person who can beat Gretchen Whitmer when Kevin Rinke switches to attack ads against me. And Kevin Rinke responded by saying, you're our version of Gretchen Whitmer. To which Tudor Dixon said, women will come out in droves and say they don't want a bully in the governor's office. It was probably the most heated part of the debate, uh, which was for the most part very cordial. Uh, joining us now is candidate Tudor Dixon. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Kevin Rinke called you the Republican version of Gretchen Whitmer. Why, why is he wrong? He's a desperate bully in this situation because he's looking to figure out a way to make himself appear that he's going to be the winner when he's just proven that he's not very likable. He, I mean, he's obviously wrong. There's not, none of our policies are alike. Gretchen Whitmer and I are complete opposites, but he has no other attack other than to come out in, in the negative. You said that the entire country will be watching as a conservative businesswoman and mom goes up against a far left birthing parent and career politician. Uh, Tell us about the experience you have as a businesswoman and mom that would make you a good governor. Well, I've been involved in our family steel business. I had been involved in our business for many years. We have experienced what it is to work with the state alongside you and also have the state come against you. And Gretchen Whitmer's bureaucracy has gone against our small businesses across the state. As I've talked to small businesses, farmers and builders, they've all said that the state of Michigan changed under Gretchen Whitmer to become an attack state that goes after businesses. There's very little trust and they constantly feel like Big Brother is trying to prove that they've done something wrong. That experience alone, my experience of what it is to to be on the other side of that, I know what our small businesses need, and I know what our large businesses need, because even our largest businesses are telling me we're leaving the state of Michigan, and you can see that by the fact that Ford just announced potentially another 8,000 jobs leaving, and when they're building their new plants, they're not in the state of Michigan right now. They need a government that's going to work with them rather than work against them. My experience as a mom, I have four daughters. I know what it is to have girls in school to going through what we went through in COVID. I know what it means to come around them and need to bring them back to to square one, get them back on track from this pandemic. In Michigan, we were out of school for more than most other states. 
and on average, a blue state was out of school for twice as many days as a red state. So our kids are in crisis. They need to come back. This governor has continually vetoed help for our kids coming back and getting back on track. And I know we need to focus on that. You, you touched on uh, corporations, and you mentioned Ford taking these 8,000 jobs to a different state. Um, there's been some push and some efforts recently to incentivize corporations to stay here, even to come to Michigan, such as these uh, tax incentives to some of these Michigan businesses who are already here, like that $666 million, uh, given to General Motors. Do you support that kind of a partnership with the, uh, the state government and these corporations? You know, I want to review all of these partnerships that we have with these companies, all of these agreements we have, but there's non-disclosure agreements surrounding these. The people of Michigan should know where their money is being spent and what we're getting for that when we, when we try to partner with a business. And certainly, if there is going to be any type of partnership like that, then we want it to bring a lot of jobs and build community around it. That's what we're seeing with these factories in other states like Kentucky and Tennessee. But in Michigan, we're not getting the new factories. And those companies have told me, you're not getting them for a reason. And that's not because of incentives. It's because it's too hard to do business in the state of Michigan. We don't have the shovel-ready sites that the other states have. We're also not making it easy to break ground to even get to the point where they're producing. And if they're not producing, they're not making money. They said, we're in a race. And we're in a race with Tesla. We're in a race with the other car companies. And right now, the other states are saying, let us be in that race with you. And Michigan's not. So when we look at if there's going to be any type of deal, we want it to be that we're going to get a factory, we're going to have 10,000 jobs, and we're going to build, we're going to have other companies come in and build around it because that that new factory is so impactful to communities in the state of Michigan. There hasn't been a whole lot of cooperation between the current governor, Gretchen Whitmer, and the state legislature, and she's vetoed, I think, uh, almost in record numbers, the number of vetoes she's had over her first term. And she sidestepped the legislature on, on a number of occasions, but most notably, it's with her COVID's months-long emergency orders where she really shut out the lawmakers and shut down the state. Um, how would you work differently in that regard with the state house or the state senate? Let's say they, they let's say you win the governor's office and then the legislature becomes Democrat. How would you work with them? And, and do you support these types of executive orders to the degree in which you use them? Of course not. We have more executive orders and more vetoes than any other governor. That's working through a you know a dictatorship rather than our form of government, which is to have three equal branches of government. And she certainly did not allow the legislative branch to be equal to her. And I, and I don't believe that she sees them as equals. It's very important that we go back to traditional government where we are working together. We're sitting down with the leaders of the House and Senate, looking at priorities together and making sure that we're meeting the needs of all the people across Michigan. I'm not being elected as a Republican governor. I'm being elected to be the governor of the state. It's important that the person who takes this position realizes that they work for everybody in the state. On the issue of abortion, Michigan's 1931 law uh, allows uh, to an abortion to protect the life of the mother. Uh, would you add cases of rape and incest to the exceptions, or would you keep the law as is? I've been very clear that my stance is the same in the life of the mother. And what would you say to women uh, who strongly, in, in the majority of women, uh, do believe that rape and incest should be added to that exception in in Michigan, at least in the polls they do. 
you know, we don't want to be a state where we protect predators. And if you look at what's going on right now on the ballot, this ballot initiative that they have would take away any parental consent. And that is a really where you see rapists and sex predators say, this is the perfect state for me to move to because I can abuse a child, I can prey on women, and then I can take them to get an abortion without parents knowing. And I can continue to take them back and prey on them because these are generally people who this person knows and they're abusing the person. We had a similar case in Michigan a couple of years ago where a stepfather was abusing a 16-year-old and ordered a, a, an abortion pill and then forced her to take it. This is a, not going to be a safe haven for predators in the state of Michigan. Uh, we only have a few seconds left, but you did touch on this last night, I think, in a very memorable way. You spoke about the, the changing of the definitions of certain words, such as a woman. And we talked about how it's now sometimes some women are now classified as menstruating person. What are your thoughts on this? And this is this language changing in some state documents. Well, as I said last night, changing and low language and state documents like this is we're not we're not talking to the taxpayers about it. We're going behind their backs doing this at the tone to the tone of millions to the tune of millions of dollars. I mean, this is taxpayer dollars changing documents to erase women. I think it's something that women need to stand up against. We've already fought very hard for the rights that we have. And now we're going to be reduced to a time of the month. I mean, that's really disgusting. It's offensive. It should never be the case, and they should ne- there should never be a government official that goes behind your back, uses your money, and uses a derogatory term to yeah. refer to you. Well, we appreciate your time and uh, your comments last night and with us this morning here on WJR. Tudor Dixon, Republican gubernatorial candidate. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ryan Kelly, a former electronics engineer turned real estate executive, was appointed to the Allendale Planning Commission in 2019. In July, Kelly pled not guilty to four misdemeanor charges stemming from his involvement in the January 6 riots at the U.S. Capitol. All right, welcome back to the program. We'll take your calls, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. The debate was last night. We've talked to all the candidates again uh, from last night. They're all joining us this morning. Ryan Kelly was up there. Um, he's, he's gotten uh, kind of a boost and his name recognition over the past month, a month and a half or so uh, since that, that big arrest by the FBI going into his house. Oh, that little thing, that whatever little thing that, that was. That? <laughs> it, uh, the debate was uh, it was interesting and it was fun. It got, it got a little fiery uh, at the end as people were uh, explaining why they would be the best candidate to be able to defeat uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, and, uh, and then everybody started kind of pointing fingers at each other a little bit. Why, why would you be the best candidate uh, to defeat Gretchen Whitmer? Great question. And maybe back to that little thing, right? They're trying to silence me out of all of the candidates. They've come at me the hardest, attacking me with not only the FBI arrest, but now we see lawsuits that have been put out there trying to get me kicked off of the ballot. Gretchen Whitmer has seen my face pushing back against all of her government overreach for a very long time now. April 30th, 2020, we held a rally up at the Capitol during a stay-at-home order saying that we're not going to allow this type of government overreach. We want the Senate to vote no on extending the uh, the state of emergency declaration that Gretchen Whitmer had. So very early on, I was pushing back against all of this uh, government overreach during the COVID restrictions, and it's not stopped ever since. 
So by my actions, I'm a fighter. And you know, Gretchen Whitmer had me kicked out of the Women in Law Enforcement Conference. She couldn't be in the same room with me in order to give her speech. And the list goes on and on of things that you know I've done that I know that she doesn't like. She knows that I'm a strong conservative that resonates well with the people. Nominee Kelly means one-term Whitmer. Yeah, I, I'm disappointed that the other five candidates were kicked off the ballot because of their the signature problem. I was very disappointed that they tried to throw you off with a lawsuit that obviously proved to be baseless. Um, but what does that say about politics and where we're at? Because the, the people at home listening, the voters, they, they just they want to get to know the candidate and vote for a leader, not, you know, not somebody who's going to uh, go to Lansing and figure out how to backstab anybody who tries to take their power away. It's what we see for now decades, really, of the people that we've elected. They go there with special interest versus public service mindsets. We need to change that, and that starts by, first of all, having conviction in what our country is founded on, and we're a republic that's meant to uphold the individual rights and liberties of the people, and that's a whole different mindset. Yeah, and the will of the people. So your belief that in 2020, a lot of the will of the people was taken away with these lockdowns, COVID lockdowns, uh, not allowed to go shopping at certain stores, whatnot, mandated masks, mandated vaccines, didn't happen here the mandate of the vaccines, but it did around the country. And a lot of people lost their jobs. If there is another pandemic, how would you handle it differently than what we saw in 2020 and into 2021? question came up last night in the debate, which is a good question there, what that would look like, because there's a lot of criticism. And the thing is, looking back, we'd never know what we could do or what we would do because it's in the past. But looking forward, some things that we learned from the pandemic, and number one is some of those early effective treatments that were proven to be safe and effective could be used again in a future pandemic. First of all, respecting the Constitution is important making sure that we keep the trust of the people by letting them know we're not going to be disrespecting their individual rights and liberties, providing them with real-time data science that they can understand how they can best equip themselves to be safe. Maybe for them particularly, there is some sort of, you know, staying away from people that they should do. Shutting down businesses is never the answer. Taking away people's livelihoods, you have the right to, unalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that includes operating your business when and how you want to without the government interfering and shutting you down based on a real or perceived emergency. Those effective treatments, I think, are one of the most important things that we can talk about. During 2020, we had a government that actually stopped doctors, threatened to take their licenses away if they were to prescribe these, for decades, safe, effective treatments that may or may not have had a benefit, could have saved millions of lives. Why did we take that ability for them to have their patients try these medications? It's not right. It doesn't happen under Governor Kelly. Laura will not. Laura, being licensing and regulatory affairs, Mm -hmm. will not threaten doctors to have their license removed if they're providing these effective treatments to their patients. You mentioned the Constitution. Right now, the state of Michigan has a Constitution, and they're trying to put an amendment on there. They'll go to the voters regarding abortion and allowing abortion to become legal in the state of Michigan. 1931 law says it is not legal except for the to protect the life of the mother. In that case, why do you support that law as it is written? Would there be anything about it that you would be willing to change? I do support that law, and I want to go back to what you mentioned first in regard to that proposal that will be on the ballot, because I think that's the most important component in regard to communication for the abortion issue, because Roe versus Wade being overturned takes the power away from the federal government, gives it to the state exactly where it should be. This amendment, Michigan voters will be choosing whether or not they want to allow the termination of a pregnancy of another human life nine months pregnant, full-term babies. 
And I believe that if we educate people on exactly what that proposal means, there's no way that over 50% of people in Michigan, the voters of Michigan, are going to choose to allow that proposal to pass. Fast forward, you're elected, you go to Lansing, and you still have a Republican legislature. What can you do as governor in the first year? Uh, there's a lot of things that would be able to be covered. I encourage people to go to my website, which is Ryan D. Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y dot com. You can see my 100-day plan. You can look at my Michigan First policy agenda. We can put a lot of things in place that will help to fix our public education system, first and foremost, looking at maybe the Supreme Court ruling that came out of Maine, it was a federal Supreme Court ruling out of Maine saying that money could be used, the state dollars used for religious education. If we adopted some sort of legislation here in the state of Michigan where the money could follow the student, you could provide options to parents to use in different school districts or private schools or homeschooling, for example, without the government following with all of these ridiculous Title IX, ra radical racial and sexual ideologies being pushed out of Washington, D.C., and a governor in Michigan now that goes along with all this, that would make big changes in our public education, moving away from uh, these these ridiculous economic policies with the COVID restrictions, uh, which we're seeing starting to come back now, mask mandates on our kids, that's an important component. Uh, looking at trying to find ways for us to keep our energy costs down is important as well. Bringing nuclear energy into Michigan, I believe, is our future. Industrial wind turbines are not going to provide the electricity that we need. Keeping line five open is extremely important. And I would like to see our corporate income tax from 6%, maybe to three, maybe down to zero. Um, you have kids. What, six. Six kids. What's the youngest? The youngest is four months old. What's your biggest concern for your four-month-old child? Biggest concern for the four-month child? Well, looking, at, looking 10 years out for the future. Sleeping the through the night? Yeah, right. <laughs> Which actually he In does ten really years, well with yeah. that. Yeah, looking 10 years out that they're going to have a country that is totally controlled by the government. What we're seeing happen now in our society is we're moving from a freedom-based society to a safety and security-based society. The government will provide safety and security but you have to give up your freedoms, and now your freedom becomes permission. So I'm fearful that for my four-month-old, they're not going to have a society that respects their freedom that this country was founded on. Yeah. Right, Kelly, thank you. The, uh, we want to remind people to get out and vote. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. Yeah. Vote Ryan Kelly, August 2. Nice to have you. Phone number is 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Garrett Saldano is a doctor of chiropractics from the west side of the state. Saldano founded Stand Up Michigan in 2020 to protest Michigan's coronavirus policies. He also worked in construction before becoming a chiropractor and published a book titled God's True Law, A Parent's Guide to Raising Successful Children in 2013. Welcome back to the program. We're going to take your calls, of course, in a bit, 800-859-0957. The debate was last night. It's the final GOP gubernatorial debate held in Pontiac at UWM Sports Complex Auditorium each of the candidates trying to differentiate each one from one another it's hard to do in this kind of a primary format kevin but they were able to do it last night everything was pretty peaceful and calm until our next guest uh, started talking about gas prices and sort of had a, a little drop the mic moment uh, yeah. garrett saldano uh, joins us now um tell us the point you were trying to make there that got everybody stirred up with the gas prices with what comment? Because uh, I made a couple of them. Uh, you what? Uh, what we asked you? Uh, what were you going to do to make changes? And uh, you uh, had mentioned uh, that uh, the other candidates uh, were not acting. Oh, ever since the beginning, right? Well, so that's the, what weighs really heavily 
to the people out there right now in our movement is what have you done for the last two years and three months? We're kind of done with the career politicians, the silver, silver spoon politicians, the establishment-backed politicians um, that's not representing the people. And that's one thing that we've seen over the past couple of years is the people have been getting positive change done in the state. And I've been leading that charge with everything that we have done as a movement with the petitions, with getting these kids or helping these kids to get back to school and inspire Michigan's greatest asset as people. And we have continued to hear rumors that the establishment is trying to take down Matt DiPerno at the certification of the convention at the end of August. He is our nominee. We need to get behind him. And what's concerning to me is Tudor Dixon still has not come out and endorsed Matt DiPerno and the rest of us have. Why not? That's the question. And she still didn't answer the question tonight on stage. When I asked her, she's like, I've been supporting him. No, do you endorse him? There's a big difference. And so we're hearing rumors now that the establishment that's backed by the DeVos empire, they're trying to overthrow Matt DiPerno at the convention. And we can't let that happen. One of the names that did not come up at the debate was Donald Trump. Uh, you have a lot of positions uh, that uh, would be similar to, to Donald Trump. Um, do you think uh, an endorsement from Donald Trump is coming? Do you think it's important? Do you think voters should just set Donald Trump aside for now and look at the five candidates? I, I think it's very important if you get President Trump's endorsement. Um, and that's what I'm hoping that he's been watching the debates and he knows who's going to represent uh, the state of Michigan on how it needs to be represented. And that is not only an American first candidate, but a Michigan first candidate. I'm all about President Trump's America's first agenda, but as Michigan's next governor, I'm going to be a little selfish. It's about putting Michigan and Michigan people ahead of everyone else. We're competing with the DeSantis's in Florida, the Abbots of Texas, Kentucky and Tennessee, who continues to take our job. So I would welcome President Trump's endorsement. I wouldn't welcome President Trump's endorsement for any other candidate, though. Does that make sense? It does. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't expect you to do that. So we've got five days left until Tuesday, the primary. Do you think he's going to come out and make an endorsement? You know, I think he will. I, I think the the time is limited, and uh, I think he's going to come out, and he's going to put his uh, – his uh, perspective on things so we have to wait around and see if he doesn't decide to endorse us i'm still going to hammer down and represent the people um, and do everything that i can because i promised our movement that i would do everything i can and leave it all out in the field and i plan on doing that in the coming days i want you to touch on this because you did during the debate you touched on the issue of critical race theory and we've heard as you have time and time again that critical race theory is not taught in our schools it is not taught throughout our governments uh, but you say yes, it is. It's just it's just uh, taught with a different title. Yeah, there. If you look, w that what up. are the issues though of critical race theory that really concern you? It's it's a it's a faulty. Um, well, it's basically what I feel a racist belief system fueled in the faulty ideas of Marxism. That's what critical race theory is to me. I have no problem teaching the right history to our students. We should. Let's talk about the Native Americans. Let's talk about the Jim Crow laws. Let's talk about the Civil Rights Movement and Martin Luther King Jr. and John Lewis. Let's talk about those things. We have scars in our past. We truly do. But we need to remember those scars. We don't erase them. We talk about them. We come up in front so we don't repeat the same mistakes again. And so what we're doing now to these kids is these kids should feel ashamed about what they have done or what our country has done in the past. And they're not responsible for it. The people in the past are. But those are there to teach and to make lessons for us. And it's not the children's fault. And you can teach all of these things in what's called history. And so I say, hey, get back to the basics, math, science. If you want to teach my kid critical anything, critical reading. How about critical thinking? You can teach my kid how to critically think, but you have no right to teach my kid what to think. There's a big difference. Mm.
So uh, when it comes down to the abortion issue, uh, the majority, according to polls, the, more, the majority of people are in favor of an abortion in the first term. Uh, the vast majority are in favor of abortion for rape and incest, but the 1931 law would not allow for that. As a governor, where would you like to see this fall? Well, the 1931 law is there. So as governor, you have to honor the law. And I'm 100% unapologetically pro-life, uh, I believe, from conception. Um, the only exception is in case of the mom's life in danger, which is common sense to me. But what the governor's doing right now is she's bypassing the legislature again. And she's filing, filing the injunction with the prosecutors to not enforce 1931 law. So I don't care where you sit at, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice. That should be concerning that we have a governor again overstepping her power just like she did in the beginning with the lockdowns when she ruled unilaterally against our legislature and then she went off the 1945 law when they didn't agree with her. And then we the people took away that law. And then she did what? Weaponized the health department. So again, this governor continues, continues to bypass the checks and balances of our system of government. So if you want to change the law, you do what? You work with the legislature or you get a citizen's petition. That's what you do. You don't get to bypass it because of your political narrative, political beliefs, or anything else. You follow the law. The inflation rate is really established uh, by the federal government. They come in, they now say it's 9.1%. And there are some who say, well, because of that, the state, there's not much the state can do to make the cost of living more affordable. But you look at different states, Michigan versus California versus Massachusetts versus New Jersey. What can you do in Michigan? What would you have control over to make Michigan a much more cost-affordable state to live in? Well, I tell you what we need to do because there's a mass exodus of people leaving the state. I think 50 out of the 83 counties over the last decade have reported a population decline. That's concerning because those are businesses leaving, and that's families leaving, and that's tax revenue. So just like I said before, we're competing with Florida, Texas, Tennessee, right? So I call it the trifecta. How do we get businesses back here? Well, Florida has tourism. What better place for tourism than Michigan? See, Florida's only seasonal. We're year-round. So why aren't we putting an emphasis on that? Let's bring back Tim Allen in the Pure Michigan commercials. We really need to showcase Michigan and what it can do tourism because it's a wonderful state. And you know what? When they come to visit this place, they're going to realize how wonderful this state is, and they're going to stay because Michigan is a great place to raise a family. And then we got Texas, big oil, right? We got the largest natural gas reserves, our natural gas storage capacity in the union. We can be energy independent. We need to invest in our nuclear fleet. So we're competing with Texas. And the last one is Tennessee, business friendly. We need to cut regulations. I've been around the state of Michigan talking to farmers. And they always talk about Tennessee and how it's much easier to go down there and make a living than it is in the state of Michigan. If we do those things, we're going to attract those businesses back. And that means that we're going to have jobs, and jobs attracts families, and that's a tax revenue. So when we do that, that's when Michigan will lead the charge out of this recession, hopefully not a depression, on what can happen when you have the right leadership in place and on the candidate to get it done. We only have about a minute left, but what do you do on day one as governor? Day one, oh my goodness gracious, we're going to ban CRT. We're going to make mass mandates illegal. And then we're going to start to hammer down and work with the legislature to bring some common sense solutions to our election integrity. And we're going to start our business revolution because we are going to spread a ripple effect to the rest of the United States to show what can happen to the state that got hit the hardest but can recover the fastest with the right leadership. And I'm going to get it done. So go out in August 2nd and vote Garrett Saldano. Garrett Saldano is our guest right now, one of the five candidates. The election day is next Tuesday. Garrett Saldano, thank you so much. Appreciate it. My honor. God bless you both. God bless you. Uh, your call is coming up, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. 
NPR. Ralph Rebrandt is an Oakland County pastor, serving as lead pastor at Oakland Hills Community Church in Farmington Hills since 1987. Rebrandt's also a police chaplain associated with multiple law enforcement agencies across Oakland County. And welcome back to the program. We will again be taking your phone calls. We want to welcome Ralph Rebrandt, one of the uh, GOP gubernatorial candidates. He was part of the debate last night, one of the five on the ballot, and uh, it was it was a great debate because we got, I think, the, the important part of this, Kevin, was to get to know the individual candidates and for them to make their last appeal on a, on a larger stage, which is what they've been able to do. We want to do it once again this morning. And, and we're so close to people going in and, and casting their vote, and this thing is still so very close. Yeah. So this was a real opportunity to differentiate yourself from the other candidates. Uh, Ralph Reban is here. Um, how are you able to differentiate yourself from the other candidates? A lot of you guys have a lot of the same positions, but you're different people. Right. My answer to that is I'm the only candidate that's trying to change culture. Every every election cycle we hear this is the most important election of our lifetime. Next two years later, this is the most important election of our lifetime. Two years later, we've been hearing that for twenty years. And the reason why is we're dealing with surface issues. And I'm not saying that COVID and all these lockdowns and the economy aren't important when I say they're surface issues. What I'm saying is though we never go to the heart of the issue. I'm running as a pastor because I know God will change this culture if we attack the heart. If we change the hearts of men and women, boys and girls around the state to understand the role that they have before God as human beings made in his image, it will totally change the outlook of Michigan. And that's why I'm telling people that uh, as we bring God back into culture, culture will change. Uh, we keep hearing uh, which candidate is best uh, going to be able to beat Gretchen Whitmer. To me, that's not as important as which candidate is a good person, which candidate is a good leader. What's more important to you? Well, I think both of those are true in, in my case. I've talked with, and I wanted to say this uh, yesterday uh, evening, uh, when I was um, uh, talking with a couple campaign managers, national campaign managers, they said, Ralph, you have the largest lane to win this thing. Uh, you have the evangelical Christian vote. You have pro-life Catholic because Father Frank Pavone has endorsed me. Abby Johnson has endorsed me. You have those two lanes. And if those folks get behind you, you will not only win the primary, but you're going to beat Gretchen Whitmer hands down. And so, you know, people, uh, as I'm looking at people manipulating polls to manipulate the voters, that's what I'm seeing, even the stuff with Channel 3 out of Kalamazoo. I really think that was a manipulation. That was just a tactic. But uh, when it comes to leadership, you guys, uh, if you look at track records and you look at somebody who's cared more about people than he has politics. In other words, as a pastor, as a police chaplain, I never once asked somebody, are you a Democrat or Republican? I was there to help them. I didn't care if they needed money, if they needed counseling, if they needed some, uh, you know, some sort of something. My heart is for the people of Michigan, not a political party. I want to ask you two questions that uh, you mentioned about culture and God. I'll start with culture. Uh, some people will, will might maybe fire back at you and say, listen, politics, we need to keep that out of culture. Um, but you would argue, it sounds like, that you think politics is already in to the culture. Has it changed? What has changed about the culture, and what would you do to change it back to however you would like it to be? Well, 60 years ago, we removed religion from culture, and we removed it from politics. That was a misunderstanding, total misunderstanding of the First Amendment. I can demonstrate, and I would be happy to sit down with anybody to show them that our founders never intended the way it's being understood with this wall of separation. That, that's not in any of our national documents. It was in a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Convention. And that one personal letter, that one phrase, is what has conditioned a whole generation of people. 
and they don't even understand. I, I have in my pocket, you guys, that uh, or last night, I had in my pocket a New Testament that has a paragraph from Franklin Delano Roosevelt to the Army saying, we encourage you to read this book. Hmm. And there are so many examples. We have a paid chaplain for the U.S. Senate. If there was such a separation of church and state the way the liberals are talking, that would never happen. We would never have a paid Christian chaplain for the U.S. Senate. Uh, the Congress in 1787 passed uh, the Northwest Ordinance. In that, Congress passed allocated money to print Bibles. So as people expanded the colonies northwest into Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, that they would take Bibles with them. Okay, so so God back into the culture is what you're saying here. So let's exactly. talk about what we, I guess would call the byproduct of taking God or religion out of the culture, which you said 60 years ago we did. What are the byproducts that you see that you don't like? Well, uh, people don't know who they are. They don't have a moral compass. They don't know if they're a boy or girl. When you take out the laws of nature and nature's God, as our founders described in the uh, Declaration of Independence, when you remove those things, then people don't even know who they are, where they are, uh, what direction it is. And that's why, uh, you know, I tell people, which is true, I was at the uh, Oxford shooting, uh, not at the shootings, but at the visitation and the vigils. And the last note that, that Grumbly, uh, Crumbly wrote was, my life is meaningless. What else would you expect from somebody who's been told that he is the product of evolution, meaningless molecules bumping together billions and billions of years ago? He, he doesn't even know who he is or why he's on this planet. But when you insert God into the picture, people have purpose and freedom and, and a direction in their lives, morally, spiritually. You know, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and live it to its fullest. If people think this is what, you know, right now in 2022 is living life to its fullest, we've got a lot more work to do. But I can tell you that as someone who's followed Jesus Christ my whole life, I am so convinced, having seen him bring atheists to himself, having seen him repair families, having him see, seen him bring people who were alcoholics or drug addicts or in jail into a personal relationship with him, that totally changed the culture of their lives. And if we can do that on a statewide scale, we're going to have peace, security, happiness in Michigan. If you win the primary on Tuesday, the Democrats are going to come out and say, you don't have the experience to be governor. What experience do you have to be governor of the state of Michigan? Great question. You know, I talked to Governor Mike Huckabee. He was a pastor before he became a governor. And uh, I was asking what it's like to transition from being a governor, uh, I'm sorry, being a pastor to become governor. And he said, Ralph, it's not that difficult at all. Pastors are CEOs. They deal with people, budgets, and problems. He said the only difference is that the budget has a lot more zeros on it, but the same principles still work. So I have so much experience dealing with people. That, that's what sets me apart. I mean, I've counseled people. I've helped people. I've been in people's lives. I've gotten up. I, you know, I've had calls from the police department at 2 o'clock in the morning to go out to solve issues, to, to deal with crib death, all kinds of things. And politics is about people. And that's why I believe I'd make the best governor. What would you do to the budget? You want to, we think you, we spend too much is what you said. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, Georgia has the same amount of population as Michigan does, yet Georgia's budget is half the size of ours. I would be cutting uh, needless spending, such as colleges and universities. I would be cutting corporate welfare. I would be cutting the general fund. The general fund is a slush fund that feeds everybody else. I would force every department under me to be able to be self-sustaining, self-supporting. We don't need a general fund like a slush fund to help people who are struggling. If that group can't make it on their own, whatever that department is, 
you know, we're going to either lower people or cut them, cut them back, or we're going to, you know, make sure that it happens. So anyway, we, we appreciate it. It was, it was a, it was a nice debate. It, we got to know you. We got to know the other candidates as well. We appreciate your time this morning. Ralph Reband, one of the uh, candidates for governor of Michigan. Election day is Tuesday. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it is my it. pleasure. Thank you very much, thank, gentlemen. Thank you so much. 800-859-0957 is the number. 800-859-0WJR. Kevin Rinke, businessman from Oakland County, heads up the Rinke Auto Group, a collection of family-owned auto dealerships where he has worked since graduating college in 1983. 2009, Rinky joined Castle & Associates, a company that assists and rehabilitates people with traumatic brain injuries. Well, welcome back to the program, the uh, Republican debate for the GOP gubernatorial candidacy. The final debate was last night at the uh, UWM Sports Complex Auditorium in Pontiac. All the five remaining candidates on the ballot were there, uh, Kevin. It, it got a little tense towards the end of the debate in the final question. And, of course, the uh, closing uh, comments as well. It was uh, exciting and fun. And, uh, you know, it, it's really close. And people are trying to figure out who they want uh, to be the Republican nominee for governor. And uh, joining us now is candidate Kevin Rinke. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. How are you? Yeah, good. So um, it did get it did get heated, really, but uh, but you you wanted to make a point at the end uh, after your name was called out by Tudor Dixon. Uh, take us back to that moment. Well, the rules of the debate said that if you went after a candidate, that there was a rebuttal that was allowed. And in Tudor's case, she continues to misrepresent what she stands for and how she has remained in the race as it relates to the establishment from the West Side providing all of her funding. I don't object to the fact that they're involved. Be honest. Tell the people that that's why you're here and don't deny the fact that you could say that you'll owe those people if you're elected. We don't need establishment. What we need are civil servants who want to work for the betterment of the state of Michigan. And that's what I want to do. My family's been here since the 1700s, before Michigan was a state, for gosh sakes. We've seen the best. We've seen the worst. And this is the worst government I've ever seen in my 61 years. When my dad died at 95, 22 months ago, he said, I never thought I would see Michigan or America being governed the way it is today. What a sad, sad scenario for a man who volunteered at 17 years of age to go fight in World War II. We need to get our country back. We need common sense. We need people that want to serve, not that want a career hop and think that position and power is the solution. Tudor Dixon uh, said that you went from being pro-Kevin Rinke to anti-Tudor Dixon because you're afraid that she is the candidate that people think will beat Gretchen Whitmer and the only candidate who could beat Gretchen Whitmer. Is that the case? You know, Kevin Rinke's not afraid of anybody. And I think the person who showed fear was Tudor Dixon. And that's sad. That's sad. I'm about making Michigan the greatest state in America. I'm about bringing more to the people. What do I have to gain? I'm 61 years old. I don't need a new career. I want to serve. And I have a skill set to do it that is sorely needed. Our business, the state of Michigan, is out of control. And you have to have experience. If we send somebody up there with no experience, number one, Gretchen Whitmer will take them apart. Number two, we'll get the same results that we get from politicians. 
we haven't sent good business people like one of the other candidates argued to Michigan in the past. We've sent shiny pennies. We've sent well-intended people who, when the time gets tough, they fall back on, let's spend, because that's how we show that we're interested, with no accountability. I want you to go back to your father. I'm sorry for your loss, by the way. Sounds like he was a great man, but you mentioned that he couldn't believe, towards the end of his life, where the state had come. What we were living under, uh, I'm sure you're speaking about the state government, maybe the federal government as well. What specifically was in your father's mind that he was so distraught about? The dysfunction of government, draconian lockdowns and mandates, that government was actually using fear instead of science to control its people. He was appalled. This man fought every major battle through the Philippines in World War II. He, he, he actually killed his first person for our country at 17 years and seven months of age. He was a hero, and he knows what freedom is about. And freedom is dangerous, guys, in a good way. I want freedom. I want liberty. I want the right to do things. I don't need government to take care of me. I want government to fill its role and do it well, not control my life and call it safety and security. Those are buzzwords for people that are drunk on control and power. I want a smaller government that delivers for the people of Michigan, that's respectful to the people of Michigan. My father taught me that. And I'm really proud that I can bring that to the people of Michigan. One of the ways you want to, you've said that you want to make it a smaller government is to get rid of the state income tax. Um, how are we going to do that when we obviously inflation is hitting state funding as well? Um, but if you take that away, we'd lose about 12 billion or so dollars of revenue every year. How, how do you make that happen? Well, two things that people don't realize is we've had record increases in compensation because our government was paying people roughly 21 bucks an hour to stay at home. People that were making eight bucks an hour got paid 21 bucks an hour not to go to work. So they have moved into a different tax bracket. And what people don't realize is during COVID and post COVID, Lansing is collecting record tax revenues, more than ever in the history of our state. In fact, they can't figure out how to spend all of it or how to spend it fast enough. And I believe that it should be the people that are spending it, not the government. We can't use funds to pay back political favors. We can't use funds to create partisanship. That's not government's role. You know something? I've united people my whole life as a leader of my private businesses and the public companies that I've been involved with in the auto industry and in healthcare. And I understand what it is to benefit everyone for the benefit of everyone. And not only do I talk about it, guys, I have a 30-year track record that proves that I deliver. And that's why the establishment's afraid of me, because I hold people accountable. And that's why I can do what's right for Michigan. I have a vision. We're going to be the greatest state in America. I'm going to make Michigan great. We have just about a minute left, but on the abortion issue, Michigan may be the strictest or most lenient when it comes to abortion, either the 1931 law that's on the books or the referendum if it passes. Uh, what do you think the solution is to this, this issue? 
Well, for starters, Roe v. Wade was overturned, and it was right that it was overturned because it was a state issue. Ruth Bader Ginsburg thought that it was a state issue. So this shouldn't be shattering anybody's illusions. I happen to be pro-life. I have the same position as Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan. I'm the only candidate that was pro-life with exceptions. And that's where I'm at. Now, we're going to go through a process, and and I'm going to fight Gretchen Whitmer's proposal, which really is abortion on demand up to nine months. It's draconian. She just vetoed dollars to support women who choose to give birth while she wants to increase money to kill babies. My God, that's wrong. It's one of the major issues that has really uh, reared its head uh, after the Supreme Court ruling is abortion, along with the economy, gas prices, so many other things. We want to thank you, Kevin Rinke, one of the GOP gubernatorial candidates, Election Day this coming Tuesday. Thanks so much. Guys, my pleasure. Thank you so much. We're going to take your phone call, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Deldo for Pod Sui this week. Keep it tuned to 760 all election season through November. 